Welcome to the Hope Fellowship Podcast, where you can listen to our weekly walk through the Bible. We do hope you enjoy your time with us today. Please check us out at hopehogesville.com. And if you feel led to support our ministry, please click the link in this episode's description. Now here's this week's walk through the Bible. Acts 21, verse 7 through 14. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day. On the next day, we left and came to Caesarea, and entering the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. As we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we had heard this, we, as well as the local residents, began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am not ready to be bound, for I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. This morning, I'd like to take a few minutes and speak focus on this story about the life of Paul and his missionary journeys and uh, highlight uh, what I see here as an example of uh, believers in Jesus Christ being led by the Holy Spirit and surrendering to the will of God, uh, especially and in this circumstance in the face of certain death. And I think sometimes as Christians, Seeing the will of God and believing that the will of God is good is most tested when we face death or when we face the reality that someone very close to us is being taken from us. And uh, believers in Jesus Christ have the unique ability of being able to face even the uncertainty of death with hope because of the promise that we have in Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's what uh, makes us unique, and that's what sets us, one of the things that sets us apart from uh, all the people of this world is our hope in Jesus Christ. And I think as we walk through this, what I'd like to encourage you before we really dive deep into these words is to just see that all of Scripture is about salvation in Jesus Christ. It's about a God who loves the people that he created But the people that he created sinned against him and rebelled against him and earned an eternal punishment. But that same God loved his people even in their sin and provided a way of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. And for all who would believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross to forgive them of their sins and rose from the dead to give them new life. For everyone who would believe in Jesus, those people could be saved and could have hope of eternal life and eternal forgiveness from God. So that as we live this life with all of its difficulties, with all of the pain and with all the suffering and with all of our own failures, we can face these things with hope 
because of the work of Jesus Christ, because of the love of God. So before we dive too deep into these words, I'd just like to encourage you, if you're at all wrestling in your own heart with God and struggling with whether or not you even believe in God, my encouragement to you would be to cry out to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Scripture says you will be saved. Uh, This morning, uh, I'd like to remind you of Jesus' words in Matthew um, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. This is the verse that Miss Janice read this morning as we began our service. She read what's often called the Lord's Prayer. And the first half of that prayer, this is what you hear. He says, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the prayer that Jesus was leading all of us and all the disciples to pray, uh, leading us as an example, saying this is the heart that we should have toward our God. We should come to him recognizing that he is our father in heaven and that his name is holy and that he is holy and set apart from all of creation and he is the God of the entire universe and we must submit to him, and we come to him recognizing and humbly recognizing his authority, and we ask and we pray and we surrender to the recognition that his kingdom is the greatest kingdom, and that his kingdom is is good, and it is our prayer that his kingdom should come and should be made here on this earth, and that God's will, as it is done in heaven, should be done here on this earth. That should be the prayer of our hearts. And I believe as we read this story from the life of Paul, we see an example of Paul and the believers who are walking with Paul in ministry, surrendering to the fact that they ultimately desire God's will. So big question to ask as we start is who leads your life? Whose will, whose will are you following? I think a lot of people, we follow our own will. We follow our own ambition, our own desires for life. It's my life. I'll live it the way I want to. Or some of us, maybe we find ourselves enslaved to everyone else's will and what everyone else demands of us and desires of us. But ultimately, God has given all believers in Jesus Christ the freedom to live according to God's will and the ability to see that God's will is good and is sweet, and is kind. Now, sometimes the good will of God leads us through many difficulties and trials, and our faith in that will be tested. But I'd like to invite you to see this example as we read and walk through these verses this morning about Paul, and see an example of a man and Christian believers who are walking according to God's will, even in the face of death. So let's walk through some of these things together. The first thing that I see in these verses is that it's the Spirit of God that reveals God's will to us. So ultimately, as we follow God's will, we're following the Holy Spirit of God. So we don't just have an arbitrary God who sits up in the heavens and looks down upon us way far away and throws lightning bolts at us on occasion. He is a God who dwells with us and walks among us and lives within us. He has given us the presence of God himself to dwell in our hearts called the Holy Spirit. All believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit as soon as they trust in him by faith because it is the Holy Spirit who changes a person's heart. 
And so we see that at the very beginning of this story. Let's walk through the details a little bit. So little history reminder, Paul is on mission trips. He has gone on his first mission trip and uh, he is... Um, uh, he's gone through Macedonia and uh, the Galatian region and the Macedonian region, which is ultimately uh, Asia Minor and Greece. He's traveled all through there planting churches and then come home. And then he's gone back again on his second missionary journey. And, um, and he's on his way home on, uh, on his third missionary journey. And he is... Uh, trying to make it back to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost. He wants to be there in time for that celebration that comes around every year where all the Jews come together um, in Jerusalem for the purpose of remembering that way back in time when the Israelite people were enslaved by Egypt uh, under Pharaoh, then uh, God sent Moses to set his people free. And Moses came in and told Pharaoh, set my people free. And the Pharaoh refused. And so God sent 10 plagues. And on the 10th plague, it was the angel of death that came through to kill the firstborn of every home. And so God told the Israelite people, if you, if you take the blood of a pure spotless lamb and paint it over your doorpost, uh, then, uh, and you bring your family inside, then when the angel of death comes, your family will be spared. And the reason for that was that it was symbolic of the wrath of God passing over those who trust in God by faith. The wrath of God comes upon all those who live in disobedience. But all people who believe in Jesus Christ by faith and trust in him that his blood was shed, it's painted on the doorpost of our heart, then the wrath of God will pass over us when judgment comes. And so we are saved. So they come every year to the Passover where they celebrate the salvation of God. That's what Paul wanted to go home for. So he was on this quick trip back to Jerusalem. But as he's going back, he stops in all these little places along the way. And as he's going, he keeps being met by the Christian believers who are saying, don't go to Jerusalem. Things are getting bad for you. You've been all over the world telling people, telling the Jews and telling the Gentiles that this man that you heard about, Jesus the Nazarene, the, the man Jesus from Nazareth, he is the Christ, the Son of God, the one promised to bring salvation, and that he died and that he rose from the dead to bring salvation. And Paul was going around gathering followers of Jesus Christ and building little churches, churches everywhere he went. But everywhere he went, people were getting more and more angry with the fact that he was preaching this message. And so all the believers were telling Paul all along the way, don't go back to Jerusalem. If you go back to Jerusalem, it's not going to be good for you. And this is one of those circumstances. In verse 7, it says, When he finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at uh, Ptolemais, and after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day. And on the next day, we left and came to Caesarea. Uh, so he's back. He's not very far from Jerusalem at this point. He's kind of left he left Greece and he sailed back past um, the uh, Asia Minor and, um, and Cyp the, the big island of Cyprus. He sailed back and he sailed all the way across the Mediterranean Sea and he's back. He's home and he's headed towards Jerusalem. Right now he's in Caesarea and he entered the house of Philip, whom here it says he was one of the seven. And that's kind of a throwback to Acts chapter 6. Remember when the, the church um, was, was growing and they had needs 
and the pastors were struggling to meet all the needs of the church, and so they selected seven deacons to help meet the needs in the church. Philip was one of those deacons. So he goes to stay at Philip's house, all right? And Philip had some daughters, and those daughters were prophets. And then also another prophet came. His name was Agabus. It says this in verse 9. Now this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. And as we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands. All right, so this prophet comes into Philip's house where Paul is, and he meets, uh, he meets Paul, and he takes Paul's belt as a symbol. It's kind of a prophetic symbol. He's telling Paul what is about to happen to him. So he takes Paul's belt, and he binds his hands, and he binds his feet, and he says, the man whom this belt belongs to, this is what's going to happen to him when he gets to Jerusalem. He says this in verse 11, and coming to us, he took his belt and bound his hands and his, and his feet, his feet in his hands, and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says, and this way the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. All right, now before I go too much further, I'd like to just point out that he says, before he, before he gives the illustration, he says, this is what the Holy Spirit says. So this is more about what God is saying and not at all about what the prophet is saying. This is not just something that a man has to say. This is not just a man making a prediction. This is something that God is speaking through this man. And so he is saying, this is what the Holy Spirit says to you. And as a result of that, those who were in the room were listening very intently and they believed. Now, um, for us, as we're looking at this, it's really important to recognize that the Holy Spirit speaks to us, but he gives us his word. The word of God is what we call God's revelation. It is God revealing to us his will, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. This is God's revelation. But it is not just words on a page. It is also uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God who gives us the ability to understand what God has written within his word. So this is God's will revealed to us. And it's important to recognize as believers as we're going through life, as we're questioning what will we are living according to in this world, as we are seeking the will of God, we first go to God's word. We don't have prophets these days who are giving us new words, new inspi inspiration, and new inspired and 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 inerrant words of God. This is the word that God has given to us through the prophets, through the apostles, and these words are the ones that God has given to lead us through life. So first, as we seek the will of God, we must go to his word and say, Lord, what would you say to us in the circumstances that we have? But let's notice a couple of things about what uh, the details of what's going on here. First, they say, this is what the Holy, Holy Spirit says, and God revealed to them what would happen. But then he said, in this way, the Jews will bind the man. So this was God's revealed will. And this particular instance was deeply saddening to those who were listening. Because God was telling them what's about to happen is Paul's arrest and most likely his death. And he was letting these people know, and they caused them to be incredibly sad. And notice that their first reaction was to resist. 
their first, even though they believed that it was coming from God, that it was the words of the Holy Spirit, their first reaction to the words of the Holy Spirit was to resist it because it was hard to hear. They didn't want it. They didn't want Paul to be taken from them. They loved Paul. He was very valuable to them. He considered him a brother in the faith. They felt like family. He contributed to their life and their relationship with God and their salvation. So this was deeply saddening to them. Their first reaction was resistance. And they begged him not to go. So let's look at what happened. He says in verse 12, when we had heard this, now it says we, that means that Luke being the writer of Acts was most likely with them at this point. So he says, we heard this We, as well as the local residents, began begging him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? So their first reaction was to say, I'm not sure that we want this to happen. So they're going to do what they can to see if maybe they can change Paul's mind. But I think it's really important to recognize that when, we, when God shows his will to us, we need to pray that God will help us to hear and believe first that this is what the Holy Spirit says. Because when we're looking at God's word and God is giving us his will and his instruction and his commands, the first thing sometimes that our reaction to some of this is to say, I'm not sure that I want to live my life this way. And sometimes even the Lord reveals to us circumstances along the way, God's divine will that he ha- that he is revealing to us on a daily basis where he is saying this is how i am orchestrating your life this is how your life is playing out according to my will and sometimes things happen to us things are unfolding in our life right now and we're kind of saying why are these things happening i'm not sure i like the way these things are that are going on in my life and i'm asking god will you please change these circumstances First, I'd like to just say it's okay to pray and ask God to change the circumstances. Many examples in scripture of people asking God to change the circumstances, praying for salvation of our lost loved ones, praying for physical help for ourselves or other people that we need, praying for healing and praying for for help through um through any form of circumstance or even praying for a change in our own behavior as we struggle and wrestle against the sins of our flesh, we pray for change, and that's a good thing. But there's also a a point at which we need to recognize that all uh, of this life that we live is under the sovereign hand of God. His his will is, um, his power supersedes all of our individual choices that we consider to be free will but the reality is God is in control at all times he is never out of control and so we need to recognize that as we see things unfold in our life we are seeing the will of God unfold and sometimes when God shows us his will by allowing circumstances to come on in our life that are very difficult our first reaction is to resist and to say, can we change this? And I think it's okay to pray and ask the Lord to change it, but then I think what's important to note is to see where this goes shortly after their resistance. Look at what happens in their hearts. First, let's look at Paul's heart. This is his reaction in verse 13. Paul said, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? So he basically said, you're making me sad. 
You know, I'm, do, I'm, I'm following the Lord, and I'm seeking the will of God. I'm on mission. I've been beaten to, nearly to death and thrown out of cities, but the Lord's picked me up and sent me back into those cities to keep preaching. And he says, and, and I'm following the Lord's will, and this has been very difficult, and you guys are making me sad now. You're crying about me leaving, but all along I've tried to express to you, I'm following the Lord's will. And he's told me all along that everywhere I go, I'm going to meet opposition and I'm going to meet pain and I'm going to meet suffering. And I think it'd be good to remember that Jesus told all the disciples that the same things they did to me, they'll do to you and worse. I think it's good to remember that the lot that we have to live in this physical life is not an easy one. But we look forward to something much better. And so it helps us to endure that. And Paul, was you could see in his attitude and in his heart that he had his eyes set on something that was way better than the pain of the now and the difficulty that he was about to face as he was going to Jerusalem. It, it kind of reminds you a little bit of what Jesus was doing prior to going to the cross. He knew where he was going when, when Jesus went to Jerusalem. He knew before, you know, he was taken to the cross where he was going. And yet he went anyways because the joy that was set before him gave him the, the endurance and the strength and the power to endure the cross. And Paul, learning from the example of his Savior and his Lord, was following his lead in life. The joy that was set before him was helping him to endure his own cross. Not that Paul was going to die to save anyone, but that Paul had a physical cross to bear. The lot that the Lord had chosen for him to live in life, Paul was joyfully living no matter how painful it was. And so these people, he says, you're making me sad. But then he says, he says, even he says, I am I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let those words stick in your mind. I am ready. I'm ready. I'd like to read a couple of Bible verses that you guys probably know well, but these are things that Paul said. Uh, first of all, in Acts chapter 20, uh, he already said in verse 24, listen to his heart there. Acts chapter 20, verse 24, he says, But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, meaning that he was holding on to his own life lightly. Like with, you know, with he wasn't holding on so tight that he was going to do whatever it took, no matter the cost, to preserve his own life. He was holding on to his own life lightly, allowing the Lord to do with his life whatever the Lord wanted to do. And so he said, I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to solemnly testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Meaning that he had, he had, he felt in the deepest parts of his heart his call to obey God and to commit his life to the good news of Jesus Christ. Meaning that everywhere he went, he was devoting to tell, devoted to telling people about Jesus, that they could be saved. So much so that he believed that everywhere he went, he had told everyone whom he'd ever met about Jesus Christ. He was saying, I am confident that everywhere I've gone, I have proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ. Listen to something else that he said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. He says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. He's saying that my life is, is not my own. 
I am pouring it out for the sake of other people. He is, and he's pouring it out for the sake of glorifying God and honoring God and being obedient to God. He says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. So now he, this is towards the end of Paul's ministry. He's sending a letter over to Timothy, who was one of the young pastors that he trained. And he's saying, I'm about to, my ministry is coming to a close. But listen to what he says about that. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. He resolved and he knew in his heart that he was devoted to the Lord and he had given his life to God. And if it was the Lord's will to take him at this time, then it's the Lord's will to take him. And that's good. And he was trusting God with all of that. Now, another one to see is Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. He says this, For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Meaning that as long as he lived his life, it was going to be for Jesus. And if he dies, that's even better. That's what he was saying. So no matter what people threatened him with, the threats of this world had no power over Paul. They, they gained no ground in giving him anxiety or giving him stress or giving him fear or giving him suffering. He had the ability to recognize because of his hope in Jesus Christ that even death is a gain to him. And he says, but I am to, he even asked this question. He says, if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And he says, I don't know which to choose. He says, if I, if I live here, then that's, that's a good thing because I'm going to be doing good things. The Lord's got me doing good things for his glory and his will. But I don't know which to choose. I don't know what I'd rather, I don't know where I'd rather to be. Would I rather be here and serving the Lord and leading people to Jesus Christ? Or would I rather be standing before the feet of Jesus or laying, kneeling before the feet of Jesus in the heavenly kingdom of God? He said, either one is so amazing, I can't imagine being in either place. And it's hard to imagine Paul's attitude in that when you consider that they beat him nearly to death to the point they thought he was dead and threw him out of the city to rot, threw his body out of the city. But he wasn't dead. And the Lord got him up, gave him the strength, and he went back into the city and preached Jesus again. In the midst of all those, and that was the only time that he suffered like that, Right? So Paul suffered so much, but yet at the same time, he considered it equally as valuable as being in heaven. That's, I don't know about you, but when it comes to grasping salvation, the fact that our eternal life has already begun as believers, our, the, the day that you were changed in your heart by Jesus Christ, your eternal life began. You're no longer going to die. That's what, that's what it looks like to grasp that. Paul had that picture in his heart. And he said, I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, for that would be much better. Yet, to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. So he said, I'm just going to leave this up to the Lord's will. So whenever God chooses, he's going to take me out of here. And so he's kind of looking at the disciples here as he's about to enter Jerusalem, and they're loving on him, and they're saying, please don't go to Jerusalem. Let's go somewhere else. Let's plant another church. Uh, let's hide out and, and just disciple us for another few years. You know, please don't go to Jerusalem. And he's saying, look, I'm ready. I'm ready. And I think when we face the will of God, especially when we face God's will for us, when we think that we don't really like God's will for us. And I think this is a good example because this is an example of God about 
God is about to take someone's life. God is about to allow Paul to die. And that's a hard thing for people to face, especially when you consider the people that he's leaving behind. They're already grieving, and they're wrestling with the fact that this is God's will. God already told them this was his will, but yet at the same time, they didn't like it. It hurts. I think that's also an example where to see that it's okay to grieve. It's okay to hate death because death came as a result of sin. It's okay to not like it. But I think we also learn from Paul's example when he is saying, I'm ready. Regardless of which way this goes, his attitude towards the will of God was, I'm ready. And I think as believers, it's good to remember that, first of all, it's the Spirit of God who's leading us. He's leading us through his will, and he's, or through his word, as he's counseling us and giving us truth, but he's also leading us daily through the circumstances that God unfolds in our life. He's leading us, but it's also good to remember that as the Spirit leads us, we need to ask him to help us to have the readiness to face the outcomes with obedience. Ask God to help you to be able to say, I'm ready for whatever you ask of me today or tomorrow. And I don't know about you, but some, t- some days I forget to wake up and prepare my heart to be ready for whatever change the Lord throws my way today. And then when the change is thrown into my life today, I get so mad about it. You know, I get so frustrated and get so upset. I had all these plans. They're completely ruined because this new, this rando thing just happened out of the blue. And my whole day and the rest of my week is blown up, right? And those are the little things, right? Just constantly being ready for God to do whatever God wants to do with our lives. And then we need to pray for the faith that God will help us to be ready for the major things that are going to happen, even the seemingly devastating things that are going to happen, to be ready to recognize that that is also God's will. That's a hard, that's a hard lesson, uh, even, even for the oldest of Christians. I think people that don't truly, um, aren't, aren't truly able to, to identify with what it means to be saved yet have no idea what that means to be able to face death with hope. But even for Christians, it's hard to face the reality that God's will sometimes is just going to be permanently something we don't like. But yet then, this brings us to me to my last point, we need to have the faith to recognize that his will is good even though we don't see how good it is, even, we, even though we can't see the goodness of that outcome. And that is very difficult. Let's see what happens at the end of the story. And Paul answered, verse 13, what, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord. Look at verse 14. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking the will of the Lord be done. So Luke and the other disciples that were with Paul realized they weren't going to be able to change Paul's mind. And then they recognized that this is what God is doing. And we're not going to be able to change that. So in that resistance, I think sometimes our initial reaction is to resist and kind of push back and say, wait a minute, God, surely there's another way to be glorified. Surely there's another way to work out your plan 
without this particular circumstance. And I think it's, it's okay to have those thoughts and to grieve in that way. But I just want to point out that in their grief, the Lord also brought their heart to a place of silence where they stopped pushing back. It was a, it was a surrender. It was a submission to the will of God, a willingness to recognize, okay, God, you are Lord, you are working, and I can't change this. And then that willingness to say the will of the Lord be done is a, is a word of faith. It's, it's a word where they're saying, I believe this, and I believe that it's good, and I even want this. I want the Lord's will to be done, even though I don't want this thing to happen because I know that the Lord's will is good. So they fell silent when they heard Paul's heart about this. Um, but even in their grief and their denial, they, they eventually came to a place of acceptance, like, which, is, which is often what you kind of see the, the modern psychologists come up with the stages of grief. You know, it starts with denial and anger and then acceptance. I can't remember the other ones but I know those are the first three. I don't think I've ever gotten past the first three, so maybe, but um, ang denial, anger, and acceptance, you kind of see these coming through, but they get to this place where they're, they're accepting that this is what God is doing, but it's not just an arbitrary acceptance as, as though to say, I can't do anything about it. That's just the way life is. Life stinks, you know? But it was more of an acceptance that God's will is being done. God's will is good. I can't really see it, but I know it. This was, a, this was faith that was helping. The Spirit was comforting the hearts of these believers as they were about to watch their friend be arrested for his faith. So they knew ultimately that God's will would be done regardless of any change to uh, any attempt to change the outcome. But that, that idea of submission is to obey and to accept the God's leadership and God's will. And I think that's something that we could all learn from, especially when we're reading God's revealed will. Sometimes we, we're saying, God, what is your will for me? We're looking at all these circumstances saying, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And we don't really know what God's going to do tomorrow or even the rest of today. And he may not tell us. He's probably not going to send a prophet to us who's going to take our belt off and then give us a little illustration about what's going to happen today or tomorrow. But he has given us his word, and his word is full of prophecies, and his word is full of his will. And he has commanded us how we are to live our lives today. And uh, Peter says that the, the will of God is our sanctification the Lord is leading us to, to be sanctified daily, is leading us in obedience. And our call daily, I guess the general understanding of all of God's will to all the circumstances in our life is simply to obey God today. We obey God. And that, that's the call. And we may be saddened by the circumstances, but even in the circumstances, we trust God and we obey God. We've heard that a thousand times, right? We sing the songs, trust and obey. Trust God and obey God. So the will of God is revealed to us through his word and through our circumstances daily. And we need to resolve the same. When God reveals his will to us, even when it's painful or it feels devastating, we need to pray that God will help us to have the faith and the strength in our hearts to say the Lord's will be done.
And ultimately, that's what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed even that this cup be taken from him. That was, he was praying that the, the task that he had of carrying the weight of every man's sin on his shoulders to the cross and paying the ultimate price so that, so that people could be forgiven of their sins and no salvation. He prayed that God would let that task be moved off of him. But even, that, even the Son of God prayed for God to change the circumstance in that moment. But yet at the same time, the Son of God, in the same breath, said, your will be done. Your will be done. As an example, we see Paul living by that, and we see the church learning that, and I think we can learn those things as well. So I'd just like to encourage you to pray through these things. First, to pray that God will help us all to recognize that the Holy Spirit has spoken, that God has spoken. He's given us his will, and there's a lot here that we need to follow and obey, and there's a lot here I would guarantee, I, I, I firmly believe, all of us, there's, there's a lot in Scripture we, don't, um, we haven't fully grasped, and we're not, we haven't fully gotten our hearts around and aren't fully obeying. So there's a lot here left for us to understand and learn and follow. Pray that God will help us to see that the Spirit of God has spoken. And when the Lord brings circumstances in our life, pray that God will help us to see that he's working and that his will is at work, even, when, even in the things we don't necessarily like. Pray that God will help you grieve even in those, in those circumstances where you're asking God to change those things or to, or even maybe at this point it's unchangeable and you're struggling with anger because that was God's will. That is God's will that he did those things. I think a lot of people who've lost a loved one have those kinds of feelings. Pray that God will help us with that kind of grief. Pray that we will stay ready to obey no matter what comes our way. And then pray that we will be submissive to God's will, and accepting that his will be done. So I'd like to go back and close by reading again the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter 6. Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to this week's Walk Through the Bible with Hope Fellowship. I leave you with these words from Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.